On our panel today, we have Azam Hashim, researcher at Ideas Malaysia, and Irene Choi, former news reader. Good morning. Morning, morning. Morning. Thanks right. for joining us this morning for no, Front Page. Yeah, pleasure yeah. to be here. Now, let's get on to the first article. This is about our brand new Prime Minister, Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin, and he will be in charge of all ministries and government departments until the appointment of cabinet ministers. Now that he has been sworn in, in your opinion, what does he need to do? for a successful term as Prime Minister? Well, first of all, I think that he really needs to gain the trust of the people because he's not the Prime Minister that we chose. And that is the hard fact. I did not vote for him. I did not vote for Perikata National. And that seems to be the sentiment amongst the Rakyat as well. Just look on social media, mm. any social media feed. So what I would say is building trust. That's his main focus. That should be his main focus. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think we saw this in his uh, maiden speech. You know, half of it is essentially justifying to the people why he is prime minister and, and, and the legal process that occurred last week. But, you know, as, assuming that this is the government that will be, you know, in the coming year or whatever and things kind of cool down, I think what he really needs to achieve as a government is the same problems are still applying since the previous government. You know, people are still worried about economic issues, the cost of living, the slow wage growth, housing policies. There's this think tank actually called Emir Research who did, uh, I'm not sure if you know, the National Worry Index. Uh, they just published this and the number one thing that Malaysians are worried about are economic issues, the cost of living, wages, income, jobs. So definitely this new government needs to handle that. So from now, uh, and everybody talks about 100 days, right? It's always something about 100 days. So from now until then, what needs to be done? What what changes are expected to be made in these few 100 days? Look, I, I don't want to bring about a whole laundry list of what I want to see. So instead of saying what needs to be done, I'll, I'll just try to probably guess what will happen in the next 100 days. So politically, we'll, uh, of course, see the appointment of the cabinet, hopefully sometime soon. I think everyone's waiting for this. Yeah. I think it's also nice if the new government comes out with an overarching like document. Like simi- a manifesto. Similar to the Pakistan Harapan manifesto. Now, our next article, it's it's interesting because a lawyer said that postponing the day one rakyat sitting from March 9th, Monday initially, to May 18th is against the standing orders as the new Prime Minister, Tan Sri Mohidin Yassin, must comply with the notice period of 28 days as required under Order 11, bracket 3. So I guess this is under the constitution. Mm. He is not allowed to postpone the day one right yet. First sitting. Sitting. Yeah. First sitting yeah. without a 28 days notice. But are they though? Are they required to? I think what it says in the law is one thing that I can't really comment because I don't have a background in law. But what I can say is if you look at the history, that's what Pakatan Harapan, when they came into power, they delayed it as well. I think the reason why there's such a big hoo-ha about this delay is because this government was... I can say that it's not democratically voted for, so we didn't vote them into power. That's why people are saying, oh, you have to follow the book, which is very important because if you're a government that comes in in the middle with no democratically elected leaders and process, then you need to do a lot of things to build trust. And one of them is by following the book. But then if you say, do they have a right as the government to defer? I believe they do. Right. The question is for me, what's going to happen in the first sitting? Is it about putting ministers in place? Because technically you can put the ministers in place right now. Anytime. Yes, yeah. yes. Right. Yeah. But so what's the first sitting for actually? And also what's the provision in the constitution allowing for a sitting government to postpone the first parliament sitting? So again You read th- up on the constitution, well, Azam. <laughs> I did, he read I the did. whole book. But a little preface, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. Yeah. So I actually read into the standing orders of the parliament, which is essentially a book that 
says all the laws regarding parliament sittings. Mm. So in Order 11, essentially, the first thing it says is that the Agong, by proclamation, kind of appoints the day and time and place of all the sessions. Uh, the second thing, it says uh, that subject to this, the leader or the deputy of the house determines at least 28 days before the commencement of each session. So this is where the 28 days comes in. Right. The dates of the sitting. The last part of Order 11 says that the, the Prime Minister himself can choose to do a sitting earlier and with approval of the Agong, uh, he can set an earlier date. Now, Malaysia has recorded 14 new COVID cases just this week alone, just this past few days alone, bringing our total to 50 cases. So I think uh, we just want to get your opinion on why the sudden rise in cases. Yeah, because I thought we, we had it under control, yeah. right? Yeah, I think a lot of it is complacency. Because even though you still see a lot of warnings saying, oh, wash your hands, cover your mouth when you cough, a lot of people are being quite complacent. For example, I was at a triathlon on the weekend and then in the event guidelines, it says that when you go collect your race packs, you must wear a mask. No one mm. was wearing a mask, even the organizers. So it's that level of complacency. Mm. Yes, yeah, the fact that things were going right made mm-hmm. us uh, a, a little bit less uh, cautious in a way. So the 14 new cases are tracked to one single person, patient 26. Yeah. So patient 26, he traveled to Shanghai. Uh, he's quite a, an affluent person. You know, he's well connected. So he has to attend all these events and meetings. So uh, in a week after he came back from Shanghai, he went to four events or meetings. Uh, he went to his office and he went home. So the big one is the office where there's about 160 people being tested. And uh, the results of that is still unsure. But so far, there's 14 confirmed cases. And I think if I'm not mistaken, yesterday, there were five additional cases mm. that were linked to the same person. Uh, I, I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, people not really being careful or anything. I think it's just one person spreading to a lot of people because they went to a lot of events. They were not as careful as they, they should have. Mm. Yeah. So now it's led to a lot of different companies in different buildings being corded evacuated off. exactly so shut down we're wondering what what is that SOPs though right yeah. standard operating procedures for people who are caught in a building with a positive COVID-19 case or in this case cases uh, I don't think there's actually a written stand SOP the WHO is usually the leading organization here for uh, giving you know uh, technical guidelines um, I think the SOP right now is if a person is confirmed to be infected with COVID-19, uh, they are first quarantined. And then afterwards, uh, you need to do a process tracing uh, where the people that they came in close contact with need to also be tested. And the the location where they were in, usually that needs to go through a process of cleaning. Now, this is Slightly complicated, uh, slightly economical, slightly politically driven yeah. article. Um, it's about Malaysia, India and our palm oil. So apparently, just by one Facebook post, yeah. now India has removed our import tax for palm oil. Yeah. That's what I understand. But Azam, you are the economic expert here. <laughs> so what does this mean actually? It's India's import tax on our palm oil. Okay. So that means whenever they import our palm oil, they impose a tax similar to what the US did with Chinese goods, uh, you know, the tariff. So what this means is an import tax on the Indian side will hurt the Malaysian palm oil sector. 
sure because if prices are higher in India, they're less likely to import from Malaysia. So this is all due to a political battle between uh, the previous prime minister and the Indian prime minister. What this means uh, with them taking down the import tax is it's generally a, a positive sign to the palm oil industry here in Malaysia. I think in net, the effect will be, you know, okay. It's not a huge boom in growth because, you know, the Malaysian palm oil industry still has to deal with the issue uh, coming out from the EU. You know, Malaysia, I think last year and this year, you know, we're still battling this issue with, with the EU palm oil ban. So after that happened, we were looking to our neighbors, China and India, who are the the uh, first and second highest importing countries of, of palm oil. So uh, we're looking to China and India to support our palm oil industry. So, mm-hmm. Irene, if you don't mind, like, what really happened? I mean, in this article, it kind of mentions that there was an issue between Malaysia and India. And then after that, we started uh, speaking to a lot more to Pakistan. So what really happened? I think it all stemmed from a disagreement between our former prime minister and India. It's because something that our former prime minister said, but he was holding on to his values and then India did not like that. But with all of what's happening right now that, oh, because of a Facebook post, then they are rescinding the import tax. That must be a really powerful Facebook post, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was that. I think that the fact that they rescinded the import tax, it might have something to do with the fact that we've got a new government now with a new prime minister, a prime minister that probably did not say things that irked India. But I think that this is just a momentary respite. Now, this next article, yesterday, uh, SBM results were released and more students have actually scored straight A's in the 2019 examination than the year before. It's an improvement of about 0.13%, but it's, it's significant. Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah. It is. So the question here is, are our SBM grads getting smarter? Or do you think the tests are getting easier? The grading scheme is a hugely secret thing. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they have never let this thing out. It's a huge secret on the government side. I'm not really sure why. But as far as we understand, the grading scheme follows like it, it's weighted. There's like an average bell curve system. Yep. So it's dependent on how other students of the same year taking the same exam perform. So at the same time, you know, it, it's really hard to get an A plus. At the same time, it's also really hard to fail. Uh, like, yeah. like you said from your anecdote. Yes, I was but saved it, from it, failing. It's kind of uh, suspicious that a lot of people are getting straight A's because it's supposed to follow, you know, kind of this average bell shape uh, in that, you know, uh, you only get an A if you're within the 90th percentile. Yes. Uh, as in like there's only 10% people that are supposed to get A's. So the fact that it's straight A's, it, it's a little bit suspicious, but at the same time, like I, I feel like why are we even questioning this? Uh, when a student finishes high school, are students on par with kids in Singapore? Yeah. yeah. Just at least around the region. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. I think that this sudden influx of straight A students, what is going to ha- what's going to happen is it's going to cause a lot of stress, a lot of pressure for kids who have been working the en- their entire secondary school career to get into a public university. Let's mm. say you had 10 competitors. Now, all of a sudden, you have 50 competitors. So where do the rest of these people go? Not everybody can afford a private education. Even the cheaper universities, that's a lot to, let's say, a B40 family or a medium income family. So I think that scoring straight A's might seem great right now. But moving forward, if your family does not have the financial capacity, capability to support you, it's going to be a very stressful time for these kids. 
But just living in the present, congratulations to yes, all. Yes, congratulations. congratulations. Well done. <laughs> Let's just take well it. Done. Let's just take it that our young kids are so much smarter now that compared exactly. to us. Let's just yes. take it for that right now. Uh, thank you so much, Azam Hashim, researcher at Ideas Malaysia. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Irene Chui, for all your very, uh, as always, candid thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome.